Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Pueden cerrar el, la compuerta. All right, how you doing, everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of The Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase indie entertainers and creative types from all walks. I like to say, if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, uh, then I want to hear from you. So the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. You can ask anybody that knows me. I'm on there all the time, at Cutting Room MRB, or you can like me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Cutting Room MRB. Uh, quick little thank you as we do at the top of the show every uh, week uh, to The Wolf who acts as my announcer and to Michael Cardello uh, who wrote my jingle, The Wolf. Uh, you can listen to him and his dear wife Susan uh, every Friday night right here on the uh, Mix Radio Network from 8 o'clock until midnight for the, uh, the Live from the Morgue show and I always have fun gate crashing that. Uh, you know, great way to end the week uh, and a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, also, shout out to uh, my buddies over at Brigade Radio 1 in Los Angeles. You can listen to me uh, in syndication there uh, every Saturday at 4 o'clock, and we're going to be kicking that up soon. Uh, I've been talking to Ethan Detmeyer about that and sending him some uh, of my back shows and, and uh, getting all that ready, and I'm up on their website, so I couldn't be happier about this. I'm actually going to be on a radio station in Los Angeles, me, a little kid from Lorraine, Quebec. This is awesome. Um also, another thank you to uh, a mutual friend of my first guest and I today. I've got two really cool projects to discuss, and I, this you can't pay for things to line up like this. And and uh, two really interesting people, actually a group in the second half. But uh, in the first half, I'd also like to give a shout out to a mutual friend of ours, uh, C.K. Webb, who was instrumental in setting up this interview specifically. Uh, so Leonardo Wild is my uh, my first guest of the day, and uh, he's one of these guys. I, I went on the website, and I, I like to to say tongue in cheek. He's he's got so much going on that we're going to have nothing to discuss. <laughs> this guy Hemingway has got nothing on this guy. After I, I started reading his bio. Um, he's uh, the author of something called The Galapagos Agenda, which is part of a series uh, called Paradigm Shift Thrillers. Uh, he's given conferences in over 160 countries. Uh, in over, he's given over 160 conferences, excuse me, in countries all over the world. Uh, he's published 11 books in Spanish and German, and he's written articles for over 200 magazines in addition to a bunch of other things that, that I'm going to get into. Um, and uh, he's actually calling in from his native Ecuador, and uh, another one for the map. He's also a prolific traveler, which is something that my wife and I, if you listen to the show at all, you know how much we love uh, taking trips and finding far-off places. Uh, so without further ado, the cutting room floor proudly welcomes for the first time uh, Mr. Leonardo Wild. Uh, Leonardo, how are you? Oh, fine. Thank you very much, Casey, for having me on your show, and uh, I hope everybody enjoys it. So the first question I always have for everybody who's on here for the first time, uh, Leonardo, is just a bit of an icebreaker. Uh, did I get all of your bio information right, or was that close enough? It's close enough. I mean, uh, we would spend the next half hour talking about the bio, but we've all done so many different things. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's good. Um, 
what I can say is that uh, it's been not just traveling, but adventures as well. You know, stuff that I usually don't do by going to a tour agency and looking for a place to, you know, see, sightsee. No, and I was going to ask you about some of that stuff. I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll throw one of them that, that really caught my attention. Is it true that you hiked through the Andes not once, but three times? Yes, I have. Uh, I had some very good native Indian friends down south. Actually, he passed away about four years ago, and we uh, walked over the Andes uh, into the Amazon uh, three times. Yes, correct. Three uh, there and back, or just there and then you flew home, or how, how did you? Uh... No, we we walked down and then uh, we came back. Uh, we we did a tour one of the times uh, with him to the border with Peru in the jungle, and then returned all by bus. No, no flights. No, no, no flights. Uh, the other one that, that uh, caught me as a kind of a major accomplishment was, uh, I understand that you're a prolific sailor, right? And, and uh, you were the skipper of a million dollar yacht when you were just 20, 24 years old, right? Yes, yes, yes. I started sailing when I was 18. And um, nowadays I haven't done much of it because I'm married with three kids. And uh, it's difficult when you're married and having three kids to be able to go off for months and months. But yeah, I spent about two and a half years on board sailboats. And when I was 24, I was asked to deliver a, a yacht uh, from New Zealand to Ecuador, which didn't happen because the owner who had been in Ecuador died in Ecuador while I was trying to deliver it. So I had to return to New Zealand. That's a whole other story. Okay, but, but uh, you mentioned that you had three kids right do, do they you know have your same do you see the same love of adventure in them as you have your yourself uh yes yes uh i think they do I mean they're still small uh i mean small they're growing pretty fast a daughter was 17 a son 15 another one 13 but we have already done like two bike trips through ecuador uh, with other kids as well, like five-day, six-day trips. One in the jungle and one in the coast, you know. You actually you take bike trips through the jungle? I, 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 you know, how, I guess mountain bikes, right? Yeah, mountain bikes. And there are roads there, you know, but okay. it's still yeah. jungle. You know, you, the roads across uh, Ecuador, crisscross Ecuador, and some of them are in pretty good condition nowadays. Uh, when we started many years ago, they were all mud roads, but now they're quite good. Now, uh, I'll, I'll ask you about the book, right? Uh, what can you tell us about the, the Galapagos Agenda? I, I understand that this is part of a series, is that right? Yes, uh, this is my 11th book published. It's the first one, though, that came out in English. I don't write in German. I write in English and Spanish. So those that came out in Germany uh, years ago, um, they were written in English and translated. Uh, the Galapagos Agenda is the first one of a series of what I'm calling paradigm shift thrillers, where not only the main character or a protagonist has an arc, character arc, but readers hopefully as well. When you finish reading one of these, you will find out something about an aspect of the world, some of the big things, not politics, education, or different subjects like that, where you will, as a reader, uh, find out something and actually shift your view of how that actually works you know for example the galapagos agenda is uh, about the profile of people and positions of power uh, not just uh, political power also corporate power and there is a science called political ponderology that actually studies uh, these people you know that uh, actually in, uh, in high percentage they're clinical psychopaths you know that's scary well and and, and i mean this is 
timely given the the state of world politics, right? I mean, you know, if you look at the, you know, some of the not just in the United States because that's a whole other circus as far as I'm concerned, but but uh, I mean, even in England with the uh, with the Brexit bit, that that uh, I mean, there were some really colorful people that came out of the woodwork there too, right? Of course. And uh, the idea here is that when you read my novel, in this case, The Galapagos Agenda, um, it's an entertaining thriller and uh, the victims can be many. And some of those victims are probably us of these, I would say, jokers in a way. But they're pretty serious about the way they want to deal with the world at large. And we want to understand why the world is a state unless we understand who is playing you know, the big game. And this is really what, what's going on. And uh, the moment they take off their mask of normalcy, we realize that they're really, really, you know, you could almost call it evil, but I, I, would know, I wouldn't go that far. I think it's just a situation that we're living in that has been going on for hundreds of years. And now it's becoming, coming to a, not to a cusp in terms of how far they're willing to go to get their agendas. Well, one could argue that that's almost a cyclical argument too, though, right? That, that, that there are certain moments in history, and I think that you're right that this is one of them, where, where people's attitudes almost come to a boiling point and, and there has to be some kind of fundamental break in order for the, you know, the, the greater healing to begin, right? Like if you look at... You know the civil rights movements in the '60s, and and you know later with the you know the ugliness of Vietnam and things like that. That you know people were fed up, right? And and you know they took things into their own hands to to make actual change. Yeah, but the problem is if you don't know what's wrong with it, you will be uh, arguing about what you want to change without knowing what should be changed uh, to start with. And uh, this is what this series is all about. You know, the first one is the Galapagos Agenda. Uh, about politics. The second one was it was about banking. You know, we don't we, we deal with banks every day, but we don't know how they really work. Uh, the next one I'm working at the moment actually is uh, about monetary systems. We deal with money every day, but we don't know what money is. And this is what I'm trying to bring across in the uh, no, in a way that's really entertaining. Um, as a, I call it, as putting it on the scene. You know. Okay, so. Let's talk about you know a little more human terms. So you know, who are some of the characters that we're going to meet in the Galapagos Agenda? Well, the protagonist in the Galapagos Agenda is a guy called Max Villalobos, whose father was Ecuadorian but went uh, to you know on on boats to uh, Britain basically, uh, became a billionaire by being very corrupt. And it turns out in, in the novel that Max finds out that his father is actually a, what they call a corporate psychopath and has set him up, uh, for crimes that Max hasn't committed or then, you know, this, I won't give you a, give away what the whole story is going to be about, but, uh, uh, it's how he discovers and gets uh, mixed into this international intrigue that plays out in the Galapagos Islands, where uh, they want to pass the Galapagos back into the hands of the United States. I don't know if you know that, but uh, in the Second World War, Galapagos had a base uh, called Baltra Base or Beta Base, uh, one of the three secret top secret bases in the world for protecting, you know, America basically. And uh, they want to do this again because of the situation with China. So I bring current politics and economics into play here. I mean, these sound like, you know, really, really taut 
thrillers, right? And uh, I, I know that you've had some experience writing for film and television. Have you ever thought about adapting your own work for, for say, a television series? Or I mean, this to me screams cable series, right? You know, you think of, you know, shows like The Americans and, and things like that that are, you know, really, you know, thick with, uh, with material like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have produced also, I mean, I had written 42 uh, scripts and screenplays that were produced. Uh, I myself have directed a couple of documentaries, uh, featuring documentaries. So, um, and, I, and I learned a lot for uh, my novel writing from screenwriting, structuring and so forth. So really uh, one of the most difficult aspects of translating or transposing, as it were, uh, novel into film is when the structure is not quite film filmic film right you know uh, and that's what I, I try to avoid I try to make it as easy to translate into film as possible without breaking up or turning the story into something else so yeah I mean they're quite uh, filmic in this way and but but getting into the big uh, you know series and Hollywood uh, and whenever you want to call you know TV series it's it's a whole different ball game than than novels and um, I mean uh, they have their own agendas they have their own uh, group of people who want to bring those things uh, out and what I find though is that uh, I have talked with some friends who actually uh, live in Hollywood and. Uh, have been actors there or other, you know, in, in the production of films. And it's really like the world of illusions, you know. If right. you believe you can go to Hollywood, a good story, and make a film out of it, you're delusional. However, uh, if you got a really good story, they might call you and they say, hey, uh, this is something I want to do. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen with, with this. I certainly hope so. Like most novelists hope that their books will be put into film. And, yeah, it would probably be good for a series as well. Uh, now you mentioned that the um, you, you talk about the paradigm shift and that your your goal is ultimately for to elicit some kind of response from the reader that that teaches them something about themselves that they didn't necessarily know before, right? Um, this to me is exactly the kind of stuff that I would really kind of dive into with both feet. Um, now you also mentioned that this one dealt with politics, and there's the next one deals with the banking system, right? Mm -hmm. And, and um, I guess. Is the is are there any common characters between the two books? Yes, it's it's a series. So the main character Max Villalobos will go throughout the entire series. Uh, so people won't die, <laughs> you know. And uh, <laughs> but and other characters as well. But I always bring new characters into play depending on what the story is about. Also, the type of conflict is a different conflict in each novel. You know, in the Galapagos agenda, the type of conflict, what they call institutionalized, where basically a character who's part of a world uh, has a hard time being part of the world, and he has to see whether he leaves it or accepts it in, in some way. Um, the second one is what uh, Blake Snyder from Hollywood would call a uh, dude with a problem. It's a guy who's against odds that he, you know, is that too big for him. So I tried to bring a variety into each novel, and this is why I decided to write paradigm shift thrillers, where each novel will force me to write a different book every time, not repeat the same thing over and over. Uh, I guess, what are some of the favorite kinds of characters that, that you enjoy writing for? Uh, you know, what really gets you creatively going? 
Well, it's really hard to tell. I'm somebody who likes to read a lot uh, of different things, anything from science to, you know, science fiction, uh, history, uh, all kinds of things. So what I decided to do here is uh, basically create a character that uh, is, is someone who, in this case, is the son of a billionaire, so he doesn't have to worry about money and such. Uh, to survive, and uh, yet because of his own uh, uh, intelligence and uh, ways of not having been part of the world, he can see things in a different way. He's like an iconoclast, or will be an iconoclast. So he can actually ask the questions that uh, most of us are too busy working to be able to ask those questions, the basic questions. You know, for example, in the third book is what is money, and we all they always say follow the money, but they, that's what they stay at. You know. It's not a uh, Wolf of Wall Street type of story, the third book. It's actually, it plays in Ecuador, in the backwards of Ecuador, you know? Um, So what I'm trying to do here is create a character that is able to uh, have the time uh, to get into a lot of trouble as well. (laughs) Well, I I mean, I I would almost argue, though, you raised the Wolf of Wall Street, which is one of my favorite movies in the last couple of years. And I I would almost argue that even though that that was based on actual events, that those situations were so bizarre that 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 was almost a a satire on on human behavior. Right. I mean, those guys. It's not. It's not a satire that that those things really happen. But the, the underlying question there with the Wolf of Wall Street was uh, how can banking uh, get away with, with you know, basically uh, playing the system? Uh, m- my book is about how is banking in the day-to-day playing us as uh, a group of people by creating money in a way that people don't even understand. But no, the kind of characters that are played out in Wolf of Wall Street are by no means, uh, you know, uh, out of this world, they are actually what you would call clinical psychopaths. They actually go down that path uh, eventually. Uh, and you, you you wonder how these people can lead functioning lives with the lifestyles that they have. I just I don't get it. You know, I mean, well, uh, this this is the big question that I asked myself before writing the Galapagos Agenda: is how is it possible that people like that who are destructive and self-destructive at some point in their lives, how can they? have been with us for so long and uh, it didn't make sense. All the research I did on, on psychopathy, uh, Robert Hare and, and others uh, didn't and didn't give me the, the answer to that because the big, uh, I mean, the largest uh, single cause of mass human extermination, deliberate, is caused by these people like them, like Stalin, Hitler and them. Eventually they'll, they'll destroy, but why is it that we continue accepting them as being our leaders, basically? Because it can be very charming. Now, I, I want to ask you about some. You mentioned that you you actually directed two documentaries, right? Uh, what were those about? Um, the, the first one was about um, an alternative educational system that my parents started over thirty years ago here in Ecuador, and they were quite well known in you know in, in Europe, not much in the states. Um, and the, the school was shut down in two thousand five for various reasons. Um, one of them economical, another thing, the politics going on at the, at the time in Ecuador. Uh, the second was a documentary called Yasuni, Two Seconds of Life. And it was about Ecuador's idea to leave the, leave, uh, the oil underground in the Yasuni National Park, which they proposed to the world. If the world gives Ecuador $3.5 billion, they would leave the oil underground forever. It was like a really interesting proposal, a unique proposal in our times. and 
probably in a long, long time, if not forever. Uh, of course, politics took the best route they could, and they basically destroyed the project. But when I did the documentary, I went to interview uh, people in the jungle, the native Indians, the naked people in the of the Amazon, the Waranis, all the way to the vice president of Ecuador and others, you know, to find out what is this project all about, and how uh, is it going to be really happening or not. What is the uh, okay? So, as somebody who's been, you know, really exposed to to civilizations like that, that are you know, legitimately native civilizations that you know you mentioned out in the jungle. What's the most surprising thing that you learned about these uh, people as people uh, when you were in the process of interviewing them? Well, um, in in their case, it was a bit difficult to understand what they were telling me because we were speaking Waurani. Um, when I was interviewing them, I mean, uh, one of them translated to their father, one of the leaders, uh, what I was asking, and the father would tell us in Waurani. And I didn't find out what he had told me until I actually was editing the film and found uh, Waurani, who was studying at university here, to come to the set and translate what I had been told. And it was a war declara declaration of war, basically. If you guys keep on coming in here, we're going to, you know, hunt you down or something like that. So, like, <laughs> holy shit, this no, is I'm, really yeah, serious, I'm, you know? I mean, that must have been, you know, it must have been a hell of a moment for you, right? I... Yeah, it was a hell of a moment, especially because I think we got the trust, uh, uh, their trust in a way. And they really started to open up to us to the point where they actually, these warriors, uh, they actually cried on camera. And the camera guy who was with me, he had been with other Wauranis who had been, you know, closer to all companies, and he'd almost been killed by them uh, years prior to that. And when he saw these uh, Wauranis starting to actually go in tears, uh, he got really nervous, and he almost, you know, he started getting, you know, I, I saw it later, he started moving the camera, get out of focus and everything else. It was pretty crazy, you know. But when somebody cries in public or cries with you, it usually means that they actually have taken your trust. Yep. That's why children cry more with their mothers than with their father, yep. because they're closer to their mother. Well, yeah, well, yeah it's, uh, you know, it, it's an expression of vulnerability, right? That, that these guys who are, are trained and hardwired, like you said, to be fighters, that, that were willing to be vulnerable in front of you, right? And this is a guy that I know, uh, not people know, had killed over 40 people with his spear during the, some wars they had down there with the rubber wars, you know. And it wasn't just, you know, anybody I was talking to. Um, so it was a pretty incredible experience. Another experience there was we had followed Penti Baiwa, who was the son, who was the current leader of the, what I call the non-aligned Waoranis, not aligned with the oil companies and the government, the real naked people from deep inside the jungle. And he had gone out for, I don't know what, how long, a trip to go to New York to speak in the United Nations with a lawyer friend of, of theirs, uh, the woman who actually brought the whole thing of the Texaco oil spill to the fore many years ago with her book about uh, Texaco oil spills in Ecuador. And so we interviewed her, we interviewed uh, Bio, uh, Penti Baiwa in, in uh, New York, and then we went, followed him into the jungle for this film. And uh, he was wearing clothes, you know, but when we went in uh, to one of the lagoons he was showing us in there, really nice, incredible, you know, place, he came and suddenly he went to hide behind a tree and he said, uh, I'm going to put my Warani clothes on. And basically it's a string that covers, you know, that, that is around their hip. They took their everything off and they put their string on, which when they're clothed. So it's pretty strange, you know, to see that happening and... It's one of the experiences that shows you what our concept of being clothed are or not, or 
that's just a sign of what our worldview is. This this reminds me of one of uh, another one of my favorite films. Have you ever seen The Emerald Forest? Uh, yes, yes, I saw that many years ago. Yeah, I mean that uh, you know the whole notion because they that was about a uh, an American that was down there for, as part of a development project for a dam, and the kid wandered off into the woods and uh, ultimately wound up getting raised by those. Uh, and it was based on a true story too, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Yes. So, uh, yeah, but what struck me, to go to your question, was has struck me the most everywhere I have been is that they're all human beings. We all have similar, uh, you know, wants and desires, and uh, it all depends on our worldview what it is that we want. So um, it's it really is, you know, uh, horrible to see how in order to help them, you put table TV into the native Indian location. Within a generation, that's lost. The culture is gone. Uh, and I, I had another uh, filmmaker on here at one point who was talking about how him and his wife were, were facing a similar thing in the um, in the United States, and he was working on translation of traditional films into uh, traditional English language films, I should say. Uh, I'll pick that word carefully, but uh, into Navajo, and they were saying that they were worried about preserving the uh, the Navajo language. So, I mean, it's inter I, you know, I always find it fascinating when you when you guys talk about that kind of stuff on here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing is that um, when you, when, in our society, many times it's not because of uh, us wanting to be bad necessarily or uh, with ill uh, ideas about uh, Native Indians, but uh, many times we forget that the moment you bring a new technology into whatever culture, you're going to change your culture forever. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And as I, I studied things like that. Like, uh, I remember there was a famous study by uh, by Nestle that was trying to introduce baby formula into some of these tribes in Africa, and, and uh, it didn't work because, of course, they were diluting it, thinking it was okay, and, uh, you know, the appropriateness of technology, I guess, right? Oh, yeah, I've heard many stories like that, and basically this is what I address in my thrillers, you know. Basically, a thriller is where the victim, victims can be many, and we're victims of our systems. We're victims of our, of our beliefs. And many times uh, when, when we act in a way, for example, towards banks, towards money, towards education or towards health systems, we, we act uh, based on our beliefs. And sometimes uh, our beliefs are not necessarily wrong, but they have uh, some missing elements. Um, and whenever we see that, we can have a paradigm shift, a shift in our worldview, and then we can accordingly change our own behavior towards something you know well uh you know what can i tell you this has been a fascinating conversation i could talk to you all afternoon and, and i'd really love to have you back at some point if if that's okay uh w would you be open to that sure sure just let, let me know with time uh i do you not know, travel sometimes uh or you know have some meetings but yeah uh definitely we can talk again and we can as many times as you like. I mean, I love uh, sharing things uh, myself. You know, no, this is this has been a really fun interview. I got I got to tell you now. I'm gonna send uh, CK a note again. CK, thanks a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me for this. Uh, last question I have for you, Leonardo, is where can people go to learn more about what you're doing? Well, you can go to my website www.leonardowild.com. Um, that's where you will find links also to the Galapagos agenda. You know, uh, I also have a Goodreads account. I have a you know, Twitter. I have a Facebook, the usual. Although in Facebook, I don't put anything personal. I just put stuff that are in, this is interesting. 
yeah, that, that's pretty much uh, a lot of what I use Facebook for. So uh, what can I tell you, Leonardo? Again, this, thank you very much. And if there's anything I can do to help you promote your books, then let me know and I'm all over it. I'd be proud to do it. All right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Casey. Well, we can talk another time about uh, more about the book rather than just my adventures, but it's great. I mean, this has been a very, very fast, uh, very interesting interview too. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right. So we'll be definitely in touch. And I think what I'm going to try to do is to get my next guest, uh, Rick Ragazzino on the line. All right. So uh, ha have a great afternoon and we'll definitely be in touch. All right. Okay. Thank you, Casey. Thank you. And everybody too. Okay. Great. So I think what I'm going to try to do now, we've been talking again with uh, with Leonardo Wilde, and I think I'm going to try to get Mr. Ragazzino online. And it's not often that I get a chance to talk with local filmmakers, so I'm going to see if I can get Rick on here. Okay. All right. Let's see if we can get Mr. Ragazzino online. Okay, Rick. Hello. Ricky, there. Anybody? Uh, okay, we're going to be talking with the gang from uh, the Delusional Dozen uh, Productions here. I think we may, Rick, you may have yourself on mute. Uh, okay, we're going to try this again. So this is what you call emergency surgery on the cutting room floor. All right. Okay, hello, Rick. Yeah, Rick, I uh, I think you might have a uh, a mute problem or a uh, a speaker problem there. So um, maybe check your settings for uh, for which uh, mic and which speaker that you're using. What I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to go to a commercial and I'm going to come back and I'm going to try to call you again in about five minutes. Uh, so we seem to be having a bit of an audio issue, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to fix that. And uh, Rick, maybe I'll uh, send you a little bit of a chat here and we can uh, we can type and see if we can get this fixed. All right. Uh, so I'm going to play some uh, Crash Test Dummies for you here. Another movie song. Or actually, no, I'm not going to. I changed my mind at the last minute. I'm going to play some Paul Williams. Uh, old-fashioned love song, one of my uh, favorite old tunes, and uh, we're going to hear from Jason Hadley and the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up. So, Rick, uh, again, maybe just adjust your settings for uh, the mic, and uh, you need to have the maybe the USB mic or something like that, or maybe uh, try using the app from your phone or something, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Yeah, and I'm having a, uh, <laughs> okay, we're going to keep going here, all right? I'll see if I can get this started, but uh, Mr. Hadley's files, I'm having a hard time playing now. <laughs> 
So let me just see if I can get this one going. Didn't like that one, so let me just try this. Okay, thank you to my friends at YouTube. Uh, we seem to be having a, a bit of an issue with the plugin over there, so I'm going to try Rick again. All right, so let's just try this. Hello, Rick. Can you hear me? I can't hear a thing. Okay, so I think what we're going to have to do, unfortunately, is uh, we, we have a bit of an audio issue. We're going to try this one last time, and if not, then uh, uh, let me just see if I can uh, do a little bit of a... I'm going to be getting some help with some editing this week, it looks like, so it's no big deal. I've done that before. This is the Perils of Live Radio on the cutting room floor. If it was easy, not everybody would do it. Uh, let's see if we've got here. Let's see if we can get them on. Rick, you there? Okay, then uh, we're going to have to call this. Uh, very, very sorry to do this to Rick. We're going to figure out what's going on, and I'm going to schedule a bonus episode this week uh, for Rick. Uh, Rick actually agreed. Uh, the gang from uh, Delusional uh, Dozen Productions, really great group. Uh, I am going to make sure that I give them a good solid plug here. They made a, a feature film all on their own. Not one of them has a, a stick of industry experience between them. Had two uh, great screenings at the Scotiabank Centre and donated every dollar that they raised to the Children's Make-A-Wish Foundation in Montreal. And you got to admire guys that are willing to do, uh, step up like that. Uh, I'm going to tie this up. I'm going to call Rick. And uh, what can I tell you? This has been a great day. Thank you to Leonardo uh, Wild, and uh, we'll be talking to you guys next week on the cutting room floor. Until then, cut, print, wrap, and I am done. And I am facing major audio issues. I can't even get my own. 
Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. And I'm out. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.